on Saturday. That was me up the uh, side of Mount Eldrig. Um, uh, what it doesn't show you is just how, how sore I was. I decided that if I was going to be a Marvel superhero, I'd be... <laughs> I'd, yeah, I know, not likely. Uh, I'd be Thor, the god of great discomfort. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, hey, so look, um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not scared of flying. Flying doesn't freak me out at all. Uh, turbulence, yeah, I lived in Wellington, I lived in Hong Kong. In Hong Kong, um, uh, you used to try and fly Cathay Pacific because when a typhoon was coming in, everything would shut down. The Cathay Pacific pilots lived in Hong Kong. So those planes were going to land if they could possibly do so, because they wanted to go home. And that was all. I'm not scared of that at all. Um, what I hate, what really phases me, is missing a flight. Now, I'm imagining that nobody here has ever done that, or not many, but I had a job where I had to fly a lot. And I have got to the airport without my passport and been turned back. I've been turned back because my visa wasn't okay. It was, but they'd come across an earlier one which had been cancelled in Chinese, so I couldn't tell it was cancelled. Um, I've uh, missed flights for a variety of reasons. I've been in the Philippines, uh, just been heading towards the airport and realised, oh, I don't have my passport and had this guy in a four-lane highway do a U-turn right in the middle <laughs> to go back and get it. I... And to make matters worse, I used to work for a guy, Nigel, my boss. Nigel, my boss. He's the guy who wants to be last on the plane. He's the guy sitting at the bar waiting for them to call him by name. And then he strolls on and takes his seat because he hasn't had to queue at all. And so me and him were not a good combo. I'm not a nervous flyer, but I am so nervous about getting to the airport. I want to get there and have my wallet pass. I want to have all those things together. And, and I want to be early. And it's a little bit irrational. Once I'm there and things are checked in, I settle down. But before then, I'm insufferable. I pace. Uh, I want to check my bags. Can we get in the car and go? What do you mean it's too early? Something might go wrong. You know, the wheels might fall off the car. It's never happened, but it might happen. I'd miss the flight if it happened. Um, that's, and I know it's irrational, but I want to be early. I am unsettled and anxious and ill at ease. I am really, do you have to go to the toilet anxious? Linda's laughing because she knows this. <laughs> and, and so if there's a flight coming, in my head, I might be here. Well, in my body, I might be here. In my head, I'm already half the way to the airport. Uh, it's, it's how I am. You know, unsettled pacing, that kind of thing, and it's something that's inside me rather than outside. It's, and I don't think I'm along, alone in this. I think that a lot of us are this way, just not only before flying. And there's signs of it, this kind of unsettledness. I've got stuff to do. I've, you feel busy or stretched, extended. You feel constantly tired. I remember being in a... Um, in a class where a person was going to lead us in a, a Christian meditative exercise. And, uh, and he started, and then he, he paused, and he said to the entire class, we we're all supposed to lie on the floor and close our eyes, and he said, now, if you're sleep-deprived, you may find that you fall asleep now. And um, I stuck my head up to have a look around, and sure enough, half the class was snoozing. <laughs> because they were tired. Because they were on a rush all the time. We live in an age that thinks more is better, and so we cram more and more and more into our lives. 
We get busier and busier because we want to be productive and important people are busy and so we try to be busy. And our culture says more is better. So my, I figured this out, my fear of missing a flight, which is FOMAF, has been shortened into, shortened into a kind of envious FOMO. Other people are doing stuff. They're living life and, and you're not. You're at home resting or you're... And we don't just want to keep our options open. We want more options than we can deal with. And the truth is, while it's kind of nice to have that stuff going on in your life, as the culture, we're in the habit of heaping more on our plates than we can eat. And we think more is better, but when is too much? And so we get unsettled. We, there's all this traffic. All this, there's, a, um, there's a philosopher guy, a guy called Alan Botan, who called it, ang, he called it status anxiety. He said, we have this sense that whatever we have now is not enough. We do not have enough, so we need to have more. We need to have what they're having. More of that. We have, to more, we have to have more than the Joneses. And we fear, the status anxiety, is that what we have got might be taken away. So we're scared of illness and unemployment and not having what we have now. And, of course, in today's world, we turn on uh, our social media streams and see the highlights of everybody else's life. And how does that make you feel? Because we see their highlights. We don't see the whole of their lives. And so what this does for us is we end up with this tsunami of anxiety. Sorry, I got that wrong. We are nervous and unsettled and anxious. This is why people have this road rage when they're cut off, because underneath, they're not settled. We're not settled. We drive, we're busy, busy, busy people. We drive cars much faster than we did 20 years ago. The speed limit's been the same, but our cars go faster. And more of them. We eat fast food. We carry instruments of busy with us. Um, I'm not sure where I put my cell phone. We What's that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Actually, right now I know where my passport is. Um, we carry instruments of busy with us because it's no longer good enough. Remember, some of us were born in the days where if you wanted something, you might write someone a letter, which might take a week to get there. Um, and then they write a reply and get it back. So, and that was normal. But today, you know, people will send out an email and they expect an email within half an hour. Our shops are open seven days a week. And oh, the outrage. The outrage when we shut them. And when it is time to rest, we distract ourselves with Netflix and Prime and Sky and YouTube and Twitter's to fat chat, face chat. And I'm not going to ask, but I, I, I will confess, this has happened to me. Have you guys heard of phantom texts? It's when you have your cell phone in your pocket, and you feel this buzz, and so you go to check it out, and there's, there's been no buzz. Your body has made it up. People do that. I've had that happen to me. What does that tell you? That's bonkers. So maybe this is just me, maybe all, you all relax, there are retired people here, you are choosing your life, so maybe you don't live busy lives, although I look and think many of you do. Maybe you aren't busy, 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 unsettled, anxious, but it's in our culture, we have higher levels of anxiety being registered than we've had before. And yes, some of that is earthquake. But some of it is the culture we live in, this vicious circle of Busy, 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 more, more, more. 
And if only the problem was outside of us, because it's inside us too. At least it is inside me too. I recognize it. And there's a story tells that Jesus, just before Jesus teaches people to pray the Lord's Prayer, he goes into a village on the way to Jerusalem, and there's a woman there, Martha. And she thinks, maybe I could invite Jesus over, make some time in my busy, 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 anxious life. So here's Martha, and she's thinking, I could invite Jesus over. Now, what kind of heads, what, sorry, what kind of heads, what kind of thoughts would go through your head if you were thinking about inviting someone over? So let's just imagine that you came to church today and you thought, oh, I can invite someone for lunch afterwards. What goes through your head? What's that? <laughs> How tidy is it? Shall we clean this up? Yep. Tanya? Food. What are you going to feed them? Who's going to come? What other questions go through your head? When are they going to go? Absolutely. No, really, seriously. What if they stay too long? How am I going to get them out? It's a very serious reason as to people, one reason why our culture has moved away from inviting people over. What are we going to do when we're together? You know, is, is, uh, 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 the last two evenings, uh, Linda and I have... What's, what's that? Oh, absolutely. Yep. No, so I don't want to be here, so I'm going to look at my phone. Yep. It, there's all these things that go on in our heads. But here we go. Jesus and his disciples were on the way. They came to a village, and Martha invites Jesus to her place. Now, this, by the way, is the first crossed boundary in the story. Women don't visit... Sorry, men don't, women, men don't go and visit women's houses. It's not done. What will other people say? Yep. She actually shouldn't ask Jesus. It's not appropriate. Um, there is a question of what will other people say in their culture. You don't do this. Men don't do it. So, and he shouldn't say yes. But he goes to visit. Now, if you're going to take the risk of inviting people into your house, there's, you're going to have to do some stuff. It's always really been referred to. Uh, what was that word again? Scurry fudge. Scurry. Scurry fudge. Scurry fudge. Funge, funge. It's a oh, good word, isn't it? Shall we all say that together? One, two, three. Excellent. So we all know that. Yes, yes. I was um, very fortunate. My very first church that I worked as a minister in, there was a, a couple there, and they told me that when they got married, they decided they, that they would never, ever tidy their house to, um, because they had friends coming over, had people coming over. And they did it because they said, if we start doing this, we just know we're going to end up stopping inviting people over. And they were wonderfully hospitable family. Um, of course, uh, he was less messy than I am. <clears throat> if you're going to invite people over, there's going to be stuff to do. There's food. Actually, it applies to services. Every service, ministers know this, seats have to be shifted. Thanks, Mackenzie. Um, there's, uh, if there's communion, someone has to get it and cut it and tear it or pour it. And there's musicians and singers and sound gear. It doesn't magically appear, not even if you're from the house Gryffindor. No, no, there's none of that. There's work to hosting people. And so that's what Martha is doing. Here you can see her making the bread. She is working away because Jesus has come to her place. Awesome, but there's still work to be done. 
And we don't know this yet, but Martha has a sister. Maybe she invites her over. Maybe they both live there. We don't know. But Jesus settles himself, and Martha is busy being a host. Her mind is busy, 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 and I imagine anxious. Anxious as you are if someone really important comes to your place. If you had Jacinda Ardern, uh, someone that you really look up to, somebody named a greatly aspired uh, rugby player, Okay. So, <laughs> okay. I could see. I could see those who were paging out as soon as I said Jacinda Ardern. You, you, you want to make a good impression. So, but what she hasn't noticed. Watch this. Without meaning to, she does what we tend to do. She makes it all about her. She doesn't mean to. It's just what's happened. We'll get there in a moment. Jesus is caught up doing what Jesus does. He's trying to pass on what it's like to be caught up in the way of living and dying that's all about God, where work is a gift, where love conquers fear, where anxiety is at most a passing footnote. And Mary, Martha's sister, is sitting soaking up what Jesus has to share. She's present in the moment. Martha had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. Now this too is crossing boundaries, actually um, reasonably significant boundaries. The first is that only disciples sit at the master's feet, so she is actually calling herself a disciple. And to be fair here, this is, um, for those of you who are familiar with Rosa Parks, the famous story of her sitting in the bus being asked by the, uh, 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 a coloured person in a bus being asked to get up and shift from her seat and her saying no. This is a bit like this. Mary has actually claimed this space, I want to be a follower. And the assumption in their culture is that the people who sit at the foot of the rabbi want to be rabbis one day. Yep. So there's this kind of hint here that Mary... Um, this, she's crossed a couple of boundaries here that w shouldn't really be allowed in their culture to sit at the teacher's feet is to say, I'm going to be your follower, and more than that, that you think that you could be like them. And this is a big deal in their culture. She's actually, this is quite dramatic, and you can bet your bottom dollar that in the crowd around him, what people are thinking is, well, Jesus, you need to put Mary in her place. And of course, in the background is her sister Martha, who appeals to Jesus. And what does she say? Martha was distracted. Oops, I've gone backwards. My apologies. Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Let me read that again. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations to be made. So there was work to do, but she was distracted by the work. Yes? She came to Jesus and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Now, before we critique Martha, can we just say, who hasn't found themselves in that position? I don't expect to see any hands. That, that time when you feel like you're doing an unfair amount of work, the flatmate who never does the dishes, none of you ever had those, never tidies up, that kind of sense of imbalance. 
She says, Mary is being the bad flatmate. So come on, Jesus, call her back into line. And that me focus, don't you care about me, left doing all the work by myself. How many times have you felt that? I've felt that. That's familiar territory. And when we feel that, what have we made it about? I've made it about me. So what would Jesus say? To be clear, there's three things at play here. There's a gender role thing, how things should be engendered in their culture. There is work to be done in hosting, and Martha's doing that. And then there's what's going on inside Martha. She is distracted by all the things that have to be done. And in Martha, I see myself. And I suspect if you're looking carefully, you'll probably see echoes of yourself. Because this is how our culture rolls. We love distraction. It's our response to our busy lives. Again, it's not just the roads out there that are busy. It's the roads in here. It's the roads inside us. And Jesus replies, Martha, Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I said there were three things. Let's start with the gender part. This is what Mary Jo Sharp says about this, hoping this comes through on the PC. Press it again, I think. Scene with Mary and Martha, I love that because Martha's doing what the culture expects of her. She's, you know, cooking, she's cleaning, she's doing all that. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but then she pipes up and says, hey, look at Mary. What, you know, tell her to come help me. And Jesus is telling, tells her, you know what, Mary has chosen what is better. It's not going to be taken from her. I think that's just revolutionary here. I'm going to continue to let her sit at my feet and learn theology, philosophy, I'm going to, because she has a mind, God has given her a rational mind that needs developed, and look what she's doing, she's sitting here and learning from the greatest teacher who ever lived, it's not going to be taken away from her, wow, what a statement that she's not just an object, you know, to be used, but she is a subject, she's a human being to be loved, to be poured into, and I think that's the major change that you see with how Jesus interacts with women. There's this constant thing for the gospel of Jesus, always interested in outsiders, people who don't belong, who are interested in learning more. They're always welcomed. There's always that space made. And I love that phrase, who will take it away? Bags, not me. There are lots of things we don't know about Mary, at least in Luke's account. We don't know if she lived in Martha's house. We don't know if she had already been part of preparing the meal. We don't know if Martha had a historic reason to be angry with her. We don't know her personality type. We know only one thing, that she sat at Jesus' feet and listened. And that's all that Jesus wanted. And Martha's bluster, full marks, you hosted Martha. That's brilliant, but you're her busyness, her bravado, her distraction are a bit of a smokescreen, an anxious avoidance. Because deep down, Martha is saying to Jesus, simply sitting at your feet and listening to you is not enough. 
There needs to be something more than that. That's what Martha gets wrong. She thinks Jesus isn't enough. And maybe she's carefully kept life's books. And like all bookkeepers, when the stock and trade is devalued, she gets cross about it. And the books are unbalanced. Her sister is not working as hard as her. Mary's being unproductive. And she says nothing, but her actions say there's only one thing, and that's Jesus. In fact, in a funny kind of way, Mary is imitating God. Christians talk about the Trinity. In the Trinity, Jesus' attention is focused on the Father. They are focused on each other, Father, Son, Spirit. In Jesus, God's whole attention is focused on us. Jesus isn't busy fretting about a thousand things though there's got a few more than we've got to worry about. Jesus is God choosing to be wholly engaged with us. And Martha's serving Jesus, which is great, but her notion of serving is on her terms, how she's going to host. Her terms, the books should be balanced, and Jesus replaces that with grace. Mary's service doesn't look like much, but it's a statement of faith. Martha is offering food. Mary shares communion, time together. And she has chosen what's better. So there's a question for you and me, for all of us who are worried and distracted over many things. What will we say today to the one thing we're really called to? When I was young and I became a Christian, I was taught to have a quiet time. Actually, how many people were taught quiet times? Fair number of hands? Yep. And uh, listen, I was young, so I'm an unreliable witness. Okay? So this is what I heard, probably not what they said. Okay? I, um, I heard that I was supposed to take out 15 minutes, half an hour. I was supposed to read the Bible, journal, and I was supposed to pray. And I understood that to be tell God everything that's going on inside of me. Yep, so... What I never heard, and maybe it wasn't such a thing back then, was how hard it is to slow down. How hard it is to put stuff aside and just be present without agenda. I never heard them talking about quiet and silence and the place of kind of stillness. Uh, probably they did. Probably I just wasn't hearing. Here's a guy called Chris Webb. He's, talking, he's a monk. He's talking about silence and about wasting time with God. It can be difficult for us to practice silence because we have to find times and places when we can do that. For some it's easier, for some it's more challenging. And I guess my biggest piece of advice to somebody who wanted to step into that experience of silence would be um, work with what you have. I mean, you know, if you live next door to a monastery and you can go and spend a day in total silence and prayer, and if you've got the stamina for that, because it can be quite tiring uh, being in silence, go do it. Uh, if you're a single mum and you're living in a flat with five kids screaming at you and you have a job and you have to have shopping to get, and, and, and you can grab 30 seconds at the end of the day before you collapse, grab them. 
And, and don't beat yourself up that you couldn't get any more. Take what you can get and enter into that silence as fully as you can with as much or little time uh, as you have available. Um, the silence will be a gift to you. And, and, and you don't have to do anything with that time except be with God. It can feel amazingly difficult because we think, I'm wasting time. I'm just wasting time here. I should be getting on with something. Well, you know, when we really want to be in somebody's company, we're happy to waste time with them. You know, we're happy to waste time with a, with a husband or a wife or with children or with friends. We're, we're happy to give up hours of, of just to be with them and to get to know them. It's fine to waste time with God. In fact, you'll find uh, in the end that it has been a great investment in your life and in your relationship with God. But, but if it feels like wasting time at the beginning, just go with it. Waste a bit of time with God. You'll be glad you did. I played it because I don't think we're good at sitting at Jesus' feet. I love how we sing together. I love that it's not a head exercise. It's a whole-bodied thing, and it's something we do together in time with each other. That's fantastic. But we live in a, we live in a culture that is about doing. And I certainly found it provoking to think about I am finding it provoking to try and waste time with God using what you have. A couple of weeks ago, it was Pentecost and in the service, um, Carolyn Cunningham, thanks Carol, asked permission to quote, um, wrote something. She said, the, the Holy Spirit is always present, I am not. And then she wrote, today I am. And I thought, wow, that's actually really well said. Sometimes we're not present because we're distracted. There's so many things that we should do. And that makes us miss out on what's happening around us. And it makes us assume that God is not present here and now in our tough times. And to be fair, look, I think we have a thousand and one reasons and distractions not to do this. It is frankly a lot easier to watch Netflix or read a book or anything else. There's some work in slowing down. I think without even knowing it, we make ourselves slave to our to-do lists, to our big lists of shoulds and oughts. And Christians aren't supposed to be slaves. So uh, don't want to have this talk. And look, this is more directed at me than you. You may be in a completely different place, in which case I'm very jealous of you. Um, I wanted to share some snippets of things we could do. There are moments in even the busiest of our days which we could use to just try and be present with God. The line from Mother Teresa when she was asked about praying is she said, I'm going to listen to God. And the reporter said, what does God say? And she said, mostly he listens too. Just being together, like married couples often are. Not always talking, just being together. So here you go. Um, you're going to stand in a queue in the supermarket and there's nothing to do. Well, just... Imagine God being with you. That's it. No agenda. You don't have to talk about anything. Just person standing next to you. Um, I quite like this. Short moments, kettle moments. So I read someone said, you know, it takes a couple of minutes to boil a kettle. Actually, I don't know how long it takes to boil a kettle. Every time I look, it seems to take longer. Okay, I thought that was funny, but never mind. Um, <laughs> push the button down to start it and just sit down. Be still while the kettle boils. Try and be still with God while the kettle boils.
Just a moment or two. Be present with God. I had someone who used to say, uh, uh, when you clean your teeth, you should use that as an opportunity to confess to God. You, often about how seldom you floss. But, uh, <laughs> but that's activity prayer. This is the sitting at the foot of Jesus. Then there are prompted moments. Okay, we have these wonderful phones and organizers, and I will find mine in a few minutes <laughs> next to my passport. And um, they don't have to only interrupt. turns out that Android phones and Apple phones, so the two main streams of phones, ha both have a breathe function on them. And you go, what? I don't know how to breathe. It's just there to try and help you slow down your breathing. Because that's one of our issues. I think we go really, really fast and we find it hard to slow down. And there's no reason that you couldn't put an alarm on your system, just one a day, to say stop and give thanks. You could use it to prompt you. So there's prompted moments. There's a, um, I was talking with a guy about prayer and uh, a pretty famous character said, oh, if you can do nothing else in a week, and he recognised lots of days are just crazy bonkers. He said, the one thing that I wish everybody did is stop at the end of the day and do... The technical term is an examine, but essentially ask, when today did I see or sense God's presence? Just ask that one question. Um, actually, he said, you can ask, when did I sense God's absence? Because that's also quite provoking. <laughs> but... When did I see that? And he said, if we did that all, just every day we ask that question. Now, there's a couple of links to the examine prayers options on the website, uh, our partner's website. And, but just that idea, when did I see God's presence? You know the Exodus story when the people of Israel leave, um, are going out of Egypt? And just at the moment, they're in front of the Red Sea. And the army's coming up to get them, so they are not feeling settled at this stage. They are feeling a tad on the anxious side, and the sea has not yet parted. Okay? There's that moment. In Exodus 14, Moses says to the people, Do not be afraid, and they think, you're yeah, right. Do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Still because this is what God's doing, not what we're doing. God carries the weight of saving this world. God carries the weight of it. We're invited into it, but the weight is God's. So examine once a day, stop, ask, where did I see or sense God's presence? And next Sunday night, I'm going to run a... a a guided prayer time for those who are interested. So I'm putting it on your radar. Um, it'll, we'll get together, a little bit, little bit of instruction, we'll read a bit of scripture together, and then you have some stuff to do separated. We'll turn on the heaters in the church so you can go and sit in different places. And then at the end of it, we'll get back together again and just those who want to can say, this is what that was like. Or pass. Pass is always acceptable. So giving you a heads up. Why? Because... I think we've got to learn to be still, and I don't think it's easy. So what I'd like to do now, um, with a little bit of faffing around, so can you mute for here for a moment? Um, I had a bit of a technical difficulty which I was going to solve this morning, um, but I played guitar. Um, so I'd like to play you a little bit of a song. It's a song that talks about peace. It has a chorus in Samoan, not Maori, in case you're wondering. 
Um, just going to play about three minutes of that. Um, and then I'll get up, I'll turn down the volume here, get up, I'll say a benediction, and go and have a cup of tea or coffee, do chat with someone before we disappear. But just for a little bit, we've had a talk. I'll pray, just give you a few minutes of quiet and stillness. Okay? And then when you've had enough, off you go. Maybe have the conversation next door, um, just in case there are people who want to stay. Um, so I'm muted. I'll rearrange the stuff for one moment. And I'll pray, God, we would really love it if we... Um, we would love, love, love to sit at your feet, for that to be enough. We confess that you said to Mary one thing, and we have a thousand plus. We ask for moments in our lives when we are just in your presence, and that's enough. We ask that you would make us people driven more by your heart than by our culture's insecurity and busyness. Be present now, God.
promised peace, peace, peace. Gonna leave it running, but just say deep peace of Christ to all of us. May we each have enough of God's calling in our lives to make us step out of the mad rush so that we have time to respond to God's deep call of love. Amen. The song will keep running and uh, feel free to get up when you want to. Um, there's tea and coffee next door. Say good day. Cheers. <laughs>